Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, welcome back to Land and Lakes Podcast. Adam Matt here. Here we, here we are, Adam. It's yeah. December, man. Yeah. I know. It's it's uh I kind of came to a realization over the last two weeks. And it shouldn't come as any shock to people, but and it probably is not a shock to you because I wouldn't be surprised if you don't feel the same way. But I kind of, it kind of hit me, and there's going to be part of our listeners that are never going to see it this way. But I know there's a part of them that will. I enjoy the habitat management more than hunting. And I, I, uh, I used to, I used to kind of kick that around almost like do I like turkey spring turkey hunting or the rut better and I kind of went back and forth over the years and then finally I settled on I like I like rut hunting um even though I haven't hunted the first week of November the last two seasons so uh that should tell you something I love the thought of it I guess but um uh yeah it's great you should try it yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, most times it is. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and I, I've kicked it around and I found myself, you know, uh, really, really just excited for habitat management and kind of rolling in and not having to worry about neighbors who might be hunting or uh, some of the blinds or tree stands that are on the boundaries of ours that going, oh, if I get up here, is there going to be somebody in that stand or in that blind that I have to deal with? Or can I just go on about my go on about my business and so this week I was I was down checking in on the woodlands and checking in on the loggers seeing the final touches on the dozing we had done and uh looking things over and was just like man like I just I I I just wish I could run a chainsaw more and uh and just go ahead and get after it and we're only in the first part of December here yeah I mean I'm getting ready tomorrow to uh head to Iowa and part of that trip is going to be spent running a chainsaw. And I, I saw some of these farms earlier in the fall. And since then I've been working here at the office, putting a plan together, but halfway, my mind's still thinking, I can't wait to get back up to some of these areas that I know are going to be just dynamite Yeah, and, and make this like, make this creation, this vision that we're painting on these maps and, and writing um, in, in these reports, 
I can't wait to take that and put it into the actual action and, and just watch it happen because yeah, I, we've, I know we've done the podcast before where we talk about the importance of vision and being able to see things, but it's like, I, I, I I can paint that picture in my head, but as soon as it's painted, I just want to create it. Yeah. That's why some of my favorite projects with clients that we work on, and this is no like diss or anything on, on other clients that we, we visit one time and they say they've got it and they handle it. And I mean, we continue to hear from them, but you know, when, when we have the ability to work with a client on a, on a return basis where it's like we get there, we write kind of the oversight habitat plan. And then as time progresses, we're there, you know, once a year, twice a year over the coming years and really kind of dialing the hunting strategy as well as the habitat management side of it. It really is like and and assisting with the overall improvement and and making sure that the plan is getting implemented. Those are the fun ones because those are the ones we get to see the results rather quickly. We keep basically all of our nose on the grindstone exactly the way we need to operate, so we're not really wasting time and losing precious time on other projects. And and I really, you know, you're talking about that project you're headed to. It's just like. We get to see that with with a, with a certain number of clients where we can really, that's honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why that we get so excited about Habitat Plans is because we get to see the results and how quickly it can happen for people that we, we want that to occur for all of our clients and all of our listeners. And unfortunately, yeah. uh, man, with lack of manpower, time, resources, it just can't happen for everybody. But we can sure sit here every week and try to pump people up to do it. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Uh, we hope we're, we're we are hopefully supplying that information to encourage people along, even if we're not able to to visit with you or be on site or, or do a virtual property evaluation, whatever the case may be. Still, hope that we're feeding enough information out there that you're confident to be able to move forward and do and and share some of these exact same experiences that you're hearing on the podcast from clients who have executed this work or or from from our successes or whatever the case may be we want there to be action that follows up maybe someone who hires us or someone who just listens to a good podcast if there's not action that is a result of that then um i would be disappointed but there is action cuz we're getting all this response back from people um man look at this i, I did this i i'm seeing this uh, i was working in south carolina earlier this week and um when i was there someone messaged in and you know they were seeing some successes and doing some great projects from right there in that same region that was a, a great interaction to, to see that you know and there's people right here in this neighborhood who are doing very similar techniques already and I can share that with clients and say, listen, it's working here. It's going to work on your site. This is more fuel to just get after it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, that that's that's the topic. Uh, part of the topic on this week is, uh, I don't know if we'll call it this, but um, sure, I, it'll stick. Willy-nilly land management or willy-nilly land improvement. Um and you know what the definition of willy-nilly means is without direction or planning, haphazardly. And another term I think of is dilly-dally. Um, 
that really I can't stay I can't stand any of that. <laughs> yeah, willy nilly, dilly dally, it all kind of goes you know, willy nilly without direction or planning. Dilly dally um is I'm sure similar. Waste time through aimless wandering or in dis, uh indecisiveness. Don't dilly dally too long. And man alive if if you could sum up land management in the last thirty years on average, I'd say there's been a whole lot of willy-nilly dilly-dallying. Yeah, you know what? And here's here's I'm gonna try and and segue I don't this mean in- what was that old Bud Light commercial? Dilly dilly. I think that's wasn't that what it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah, willy-nilly like and dilly-dally. Yeah, yeah. But but this is this is gonna be a decent little segue into um, being able to talk about on X, which we, which we need to talk about here in this yeah. podcast, but. The ability for a land manager and a landowner to utilize an app and a software to increase their efficiency at a farm, it it lies in the app and the Onyx app. If you utilize it appropriately, you remove the dilly dally, the wandering, the uh, the willy nilly type land management practices where you're just like, ah. I don't know if I want to tackle that project yet because I don't really know how big that area is. Do I really want to put in that fire line? Well, map the joker out. What's your linear foot around there? You've got multiple tools within that app to do that exact thing in a matter of seconds in the palm of your hand. Save it. Send it to whoever. Send it to a contractor. Whatever the case may be, it's a fantastic tool. If you haven't checked it out, you need Mm. to. And you need to use the code Land and Legacy. 20 for a discount on elite memberships. 20%, that's right. And I think it, it's bar none, my favorite tool. I, when I was, I, I said earlier, I worked in South Carolina earlier this week and then got back and I started working on putting the maps and the plans together. And I've got a separate monitor that allows me to create and work in our, in our um, software to make our maps. But then on my other screen, I've got, on X pulled up, but I'm just, you know, on that hybrid or that topo, just glancing at both of them. Okay, where does this feature need to go? Okay, it's actually here because of that saddle or this bench or this point. Yeah. It's just I, I I can't get away from using it because it's that useful. No doubt. No doubt. Like I used it today on the consult where I just I showed the guy I was kind of laying out a bedding cut. I'm like, it doesn't yeah. have to be huge, you know, right here in this area, like it's it's a smaller property, so we're kind of pressed in tightly. So don't expect a full acre of a bedding cut. Let's go a little smaller and see what happens. It's South Slope. And I just walked around, and then when I got done, I threw a polygon over it. And I was like, see, you know, it's it's it was quarter acre. And uh, so it's a quarter acre cut. All right. And, I mean, just having the ability to do that. And then when I get back to the office, it makes my life way easier knowing exactly where I laid that out for him. So, Right. Yeah, it, it works. Yeah. It's great for us as reminders to drop a waypoint, but it's also shareable <clears throat> as well. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, so, yeah. What's let's, up? Let's, let's let's jump into that willy nilly. I know you had some good thoughts, and and I yeah. And I think that this is a common pain point for people, and and, and honestly, they, they may not know that they suffer from the willy nilly. Oh yeah, and, um, no doubt. And and what so. 
bring us kind of full circle into what that really means. What does that look okay. like for land management? So one of the big things when it comes to willy-nilly and, or dilly-dallies, and you can think of probably a couple guys that help you. You've got Willie over there and you've got Dilly over there. And if if you find yourself at the farm, you know, you go down on a Saturday and Saturday wraps up and you think back on the day and you're like, what did I accomplish today? And you really can't think of anything like, well, I kind of did that. And I did, that that's this is one of those cases. Maybe we'll take it over. Um, Jeff Foxworthy joke, you know, all the things that you might be a redneck if or you do this and yeah, you might be a redneck. And so in this case, if you can't remember what you did at the farm in, during the day, yeah, you might be a dilly dallier. And if another common one is you can look back and you did a project and then you come back a month later, two months later, or a year later and you look and you're like, I'm really not sure why I did that right there. You might be a dilly-dallier. If you find yourself spending two hours trying to complete a project and you get a quarter way done and you go on to the next project, and this is where I'm guilty sometimes, you might be a, a dilly-dallier um, or a willy-nilly. Project hopping. Yeah. Project hopping. Yeah. And project incompleteness. And uh, yes. so there's all these signs that indicate, you know, what a willy-nilly um, person might be when it comes to land management. Another one that I would say is willy-nilly is when food plots are in random places. Let's say you're one of those landowners and you've got, a, you have kind of a 50-50 split. You have more open acres than a lot of people. You wouldn't necessarily say your property is completely timber. So you've got options to work with other things in, in open fields. And you realize that you you kind of change your food plot shapes up every year. You might, instead of planting this one, you go over and plant this area and you leave that other area go fallow. And it was no rhyme or reason, but you just did it because you thought, yeah, I'll try it over here this year. You might be a, a willy-nilly. And another one would be you put the planter down and you just start going out through a field, kind of wandering haphazardly through the vegetation. And at the end of it, you have a long snaking trail to nowhere. And you think, yeah, that'll work. But there was no thought other than I'll just meander. And that's when you might be a willy nilly. And uh, <laughs> and so there's, there's, there's so there's many like- cases that people probably... Each one of us could say there's times when I'm a willy or I'm a dilly and there's other times when I really want to be 80% or more focused, strategically placing my projects, and I'm getting stuff done. Yes. And so many times. So this is is kind of stepping into a finer grit. You know, we talk so much about 80-grit management where – Okay, 80 grit management is is rough and tough, and it whips things in shape. And 220 is a little bit more fine-tuning. And we want to, you know, it's more finishing-type sandpaper. We want to kind of, you know, if if I start out with a rough piece of property with 220 grit mindset, I'm not really going to get anywhere. I have to use a, 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 a more heavy grit, like an 80 grit, to whip things in shape. So... For a lot of our landowners, when we show up to a property, we're 80-grit mindset out of the gate. We're, how do we flip this property? Like, we're not really focused on, 
I'll, I'll use a trapping reference. If anybody's ever trapped coyotes, you realize that there's usually some forethought into trap placement as well as attractant placement. So you're thinking about where that coyote or that bobcat is going to place their paw so you get a good solid catch. And it's not something where you're going to catch them in the toes or you're going to completely, you're going to catch them in the back leg. Like we're trying to place the, 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 the success, uh, we're trying to increase success with paw placement. And so there's a really in-depth thought process in where that trap goes. And ultimately we're setting a trap for the wildlife if, if you will, we're trying to set the property up to where when deer movement moving, you got to think about it. There's a select number of days that the buck you're targeting is going to move in daylight. Now there's a select number of days that he's going to move in daylight in front of your tree stand and you're going to be in that tree stand. So you have to maximize everything. There's a, a much deeper thought process that goes into harvesting your trophy buck that's on your property during daylight with your limited number of days to hunt him. So you really kind of have to wear the 80 grit going into habitat, but then you almost have to put a 220 grit or higher on this really in-depth, fine-tuning, laying out the property to where each feature has a place. And making sure you put that in the right place is how you're going to punch tags much quicker, and you're going to avoid willy-nillying, if that's even a term. You're going to avoid being a willy-nilly. <laughs> I I thought of um, almost like it willy-nilly-ness, haphazardness yeah. for landowners can really fall into two categories. I think one is task management, like like the tasks that they do just – are random, right? Yeah. But then there's also the willy-nilly layout, like the layout of the property. The features of the property are oh. randomized. Totally. And, and there's not forethought. So, so to basically summarize all of that, it, you could you could be looking at two different scenarios: yeah. you and your efficiency and your tasks. Or that, we'll say this: that's when you dilly dally. That's the act yeah. of indirectness and and not really knowing what you're doing uh, or not having the planning. And then when you are placing things in random areas and, and there's not a lot of thought, that's when you're a willy-nilly. You know, I, I think, Adam, one, the one thing that uh, we're, we're really good at is determining where features need to go. And I think that some people may be, may expect us, let's say walking a property, um, you know, at the end of the day to be able to say, do this, do that, do this, do that, do that here, 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 and here. And here's all your plan. I could just like regurgitate all the techniques and all the things that you need to do right here, right now on the spot, because I walked it that day. Yeah. Um, and, and what I would say to that is, that's actually not the case because the way we design our schedules and our plans is that I have a really good idea of, of the layout and the features to be able to work with on a property once we've toured it. But I don't like the gears are turning obviously, 
but I don't have that full picture until I get back to the office and are able to work and play with these features and really look at exposures and aspects and roads and how they lay all out. Where are we missing? What parts do we need to access? Like, it's like, I'm saying all this because that like, there's a lot of forethought into the layout and the feature and the planning of this. Although we do this on a daily basis, with landowners at the end of the day, I still want to put more thought into it because these types of techniques and these types of recommendations that we're suggesting to do, this isn't some of the things where you come back a year later and you're like, was I here? I I swore I I came in here and I uh, cut a few trees or I, I hacked a few trees, but like you don't see the results. Like, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're prescribing. We're talking about serious, in-depth, long-term, big, impactful projects that when you do them, when you execute them, it's not just, man, I just woke up this morning. I just want to do it. It was yeah. serious forethought and planning that went into the layout of the farm. Like this corresponds with deer that are going to be better on that slope or that bench or that point I'm doing this because I can see this plan working and flowing and me harvesting deer here or there, or I can get here and access this. It ha- like the, you have to have these thought processes and it doesn't happen overnight. I, I mean, Adam, I know that you and Chad, cause I did it here on, or, and, and still doing it really on uh, Elam Ridge, but, but you guys are, have been hunting this property for a long time. You know it like the back of your hand, but you're still learning aspects of the property. You're seeing different things that you haven't seen before, and you're seeing them from a different perspective because things are changing. And therefore, when you see things a little bit differently, sometimes you make a course correction or you change or you tweak something and you say, actually, we could do this too. We could expand upon this or we could... We have this giant opening now, but that doesn't mean it's best suited to all be planted. Let's yep. go half native. Let's go, you know, wildlife opening. Shoot, some of the some of the food plots on your guys' family farm years and years have been were planted 10, 15 years ago, and now they're more or less a herbaceous wildlife opening. So it's like things change, but at the end of the day, if you're going forward and doing these big impactful things, which we recommend, <clears throat> there's not a place for willy nilly haphazardness. No, if you're going to do it, put forethought into it and know that your planning stages, the creation of it. Let, let's say you, you, you put all this plan together in your head, you write it down, whatever, or, or you've hired someone to do that. you, you have to have this like basis or foundation that you come back to. It's not, again, it's not just the, I'm just going to start pushing trees over with the dozer. Like no one does that. Yeah. Uh, this is a big flat. This is a big flat ridge. Let's knock it out and make it a food plot. That's pretty easy. Um, that's, that's very, uh, an easy mindset to adapt, adapt, but, or adopt. Um, yeah. But yeah. because anytime you have big machinery coming into a property and there's not a lot of forethought other than caveman mindset, oh, I like food plots, let's make food plots. Or, you know, 
uh, you you just roll into it and they just start pushing over trees. You can't stick them back in the ground. You can't glue them back up. You can't prop them back up. Once they're down, they're down. Yeah. And that's right. been really, Matt, to be honest, in this whole project with, with uh, the woodlands has been, you know, what we're doing right now for the rest of my life will be, it'll be that, that work will be there. You'll be able to see that in some degree, even if we walked away tomorrow, 50 years from now, you could still see the difference in the forest based on the layout and the planning that we've done today. That's kind of, that, that carries a lot of weight and it doesn't scare me though, because there's no one who cares more deeply than me when it comes to making sure that there's the right decision being made there. Um, take yeah. it. I, I, I feel strongly with that about that. And so there's nobody that's, that's trying to really wear so many hats that, that everything we do, we're wearing a hunter hat. We're wearing a natural resource manager hat. We're, we're, we're wearing a uh, a naturalist hat. We're wearing a uh, a native plant enthusiast hat. We're wearing a uh, an an outdoor recreational enjoyment hat. Um, instead, and we're wearing a cattle farmer hat. Um, there's so many things we're trying to do, and so many different scenarios that come into play. That if one of them is is catastrophic for any of those other hats, it makes us take a step back and say. I don't know if I want to do this. And when it comes to the logging, I mean, we're we're wearing a forestry hat. We're trying to ensure a healthy forest. And, you know, it, it, through this process, I mean, we've logged now, I don't know how many acres, uh, a good amount. And it looks different. And it looks nasty. It looks like we've kind of gotten too aggressive in places. But we haven't. We have to understand that the healthiest tree hasn't even sprouted yet or it's a seedling on the ground because the trees that were standing were incredibly stressed or had major fire damage from a wildfire years ago when before we ever even stepped foot on the place like there's a lot of variables that come into play and um that's why we're we're really having to lose the willy-nilly side or the dilly-dally side we're trying to really focus in on everything we do has purpose and everything we lay out has been placed in the exact place to make this better and not just today not just tomorrow 10 years from now we can say wow that is like the perfect setup access is phenomenal bedding is phenomenal food plots are incredible the water holes are awesome all of those don't matter if they're in the wrong spot. You can make the best property in the world with having every single thing that a whitetail needs or a quail needs or a deer needs, but specifically whitetail deer. You can lay out the most beautiful food plot, lay the absolute fertilizer and soil amendments to it and make it incredible. But if access is bad, sorry, I'll take a mediocre food plot with better access. If the water hole is in the wrong side or it's just out of range, sorry, it's not to its maximum potential. If uh, the edge feathering's done incorrectly, sorry, it needs improved. But when you lay it out perfectly, it is incredible. And that's what yep. really few people ever get to enjoy that. And there's 
and 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 it could be occurring on part of your farm where it's laid out perfectly, but it's not the whole thing. And what we're attempting with our farms is laying out an entire property that's like this thing is buttoned up. This thing is is dressed up perfectly. And I don't yeah. use that term very often, but that's what I feel the direction of the woodlands is happening is with each time I, I visit, I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And it takes a lot of forethought to make that happen. Yeah, exactly. It it does not require, I mean, it doesn't, you're not going to accomplish that, I should say. You're not going to accomplish that level of, I won't say perfection, but that level of success in land management and property layout for hunting recreational purposes without doing intentional acts over and over again. And a lot of that intentionality comes as forethought and not actually as implementation. Yeah. Everyone I'm- wants to talk about techniques and everybody wants to talk about you know, this saw versus that saw or this food clot seed versus that food clot seed and this tree stand or that show camera. Cool, but at the end of the day, we have a property and we have three years to overhaul it and change it into this magnificent place and if you're if you're going about it and you haven't thought thought through it, right? You're 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 lo- you're way behind the eight ball on ever making it into something valuable. Like yeah. you you could mess that up if you don't take the forethought and and go through the right steps. What I was going to say was. It, it, this food plot seed versus this food plot seed or this size versus this size. If it's in the wrong spot, it's in the wrong spot for for many, many years to come. And yeah. that's where, you know, so many times we've seen properties roll in and and the food plots have been laid out. And you're like, let's just, I, I'll use an example from a few years back. The landowner... Um, had bought the property. He had uh, laid out food plots and a road system. And then when I got there, he goes, "Yeah, I I started listening to your food plot or your podcast, and I realized that I I had my road and my food plots done incorrectly." And it's like that's kind of a a, a costly mistake. Um, you know, you know, failures are great if we can learn from them. And, but failures, even, even some of the best failures to learn from, they're still going to cost you money sometimes. And in that case, it costs the guy money because he had to completely make a new road system to avoid blowing out food plot one and food plot two and food plot three to go and hunt food plot four. And, and that's really, you want to avoid those mistakes. And, and, and in this case, you know, Chad and I, we've got the opportunity to completely transform this property. That's been a really rough piece of property and hasn't been as productive as it near anywhere near what it can be. And unfortunately, you know, when you look at it, some of the main roadways go right through the middle of the property. Well, that's unfortunate. And it makes the property feel smaller than it actually is. 
And so what we're attempting to do is make the property seem much, much bigger and utilize different road systems um, to really slip into places that that we've never really hunted before um, because of horrible access. Or when we did hunt them back when we were younger, we didn't stand much of a chance because we blew everything out trying to get there. So, um, you know. It used to go right up the gut. Right up the gut. I mean, it's like I, I used this analogy with a guy today who was a fisherman. I said, tell me how often whenever you're going fishing and you're crappie fishing, you're going to brush piles that are submerged, how often do you take the boat and just ride over the top of them just to kind of stir things up? Yeah. And he kind of chuckled and he goes, never. I said, why do we do that with our deer? Let's just blow right through the middle of them and hope they come back. <laughs> like exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and I got twenty acres of woods, and I'm going to the center of them. Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I've laid out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine different things in willy nilly land management that really should take um, that that when placed, these are kind of uh, two twenty t- type. Um, habitat features or hunting strategies that come into play that should require some 220 or greater um, mind uh, mindful thinking here because um, when you think about habitat management there's there's habitat management which is a big part of what we do and then there's hunting strategy which is a big part of what everybody does I mean there's a, a long list of podcasts that do hunting strategy and then we sit there and we try to float that line, you and I. We try to walk that fence because habitat management is great, but if the hunting strategy is poor, it doesn't matter how great the habitat is. If 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 your hunting stands incorrectly, access is bad, it doesn't matter how great we make the habitat. It's it doesn't have secure security. Well, and, and I would say to not in a caveat, but to to expound on that there's a lot of properties where you can have great hunting strategy or the property may limit your ability to have actual strategy to hunt it because there's no habitat in place. Yeah. And so you could be on either side of the spectrum. You could have a great property, horrible access and you can't hunt it. Or you could have a property. We see these ones a lot, but where, where you get in there and, and, you know, this is the way they've been hunting it. Maybe it was right. Maybe it was wrong, but the property, um, w- didn't have any great features to make it really huntable. Yeah. And so now we had to go in we had to create that. So I think that's where, that's that ride, that line we ride is we're trying to manipulate the habitat to make the hunting better. And the strategy makes sense because it's so direct. Deer are a hundred percent directly correlated when they get up and they move from their bed, wherever they're going, whatever they're doing is very directly related to the habitat and the vegetation around them. That's right. Yeah. And so we have to have that in mind when we're thinking about a hunting strategy. No doubt. No doubt. And I just added one. So we've got 10 things here, but, um, and, and so we talk habitat and we talk hunting and then we kind of, we have to wear if we really want to punch tags earlier or fill more tags, we have to have a really good hunting strategy in place with habitat improvement strategy. And that's where we really, I feel like, is our bread and butter 
that sometimes properties are so poor, habitat is so poor that we don't even really get to touch this stuff because it's completely overwhelming the landowner because of the amount of habitat that needs to be improved. That it's like, once you get that done, let me come back and then we'll talk 220 grit. And so here's a lot of things that really, if you're placing these on the property or these are things where we've seen done in willy-nilly fashion. And so it could be either or on these. But number one thing um, comes to mind. There's no priority, uh, prioritizing with these with this list because it's just kind of how they came to me. So number one, um, we're doing, I think we've done three of these so far on the property, on the woodlands that, uh, you know, I, I th- we talked about it before in the past. But water has been definitely a weird thing there. And so we put in water holes and, uh, you know, vernal pools, wildlife, water holes, whatever you want to call them. Matt, you did one on your place. We did three on our place, um, in, in food plots. And, uh, honestly, I think there's a few more. There's at least one more that I know we're talking about doing, even in, even though there's already a water hole in the, uh, in that food plot, Matt, it's actually that little sliver that we had our dozer guy knock out um, uh, after he had already done it. There's that yep. little sway, oh, and yeah. the skitter went through there and got almost buried up and is very wet. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, they oh, the steam. that's a good spot. That might be a really good spot. And so we have one set up, a water hole set up for the place with a northeast, northwest, north wind. And there's a water hole down on that end. And then if we put a water hole here, it'll be set up for south and southeast winds. Um, and so... It seems like it would probably also pin- make that pinch even that much even tighter. better. Correct. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, water holes. And uh, we could even say the plastic water t- pools or whatever guys are using, the water tanks. Seems like I've seen a lot of those over time, and I'm like, so why is this here? Uh, I I used to hang a stand here, or I had a stand here, but we never really saw anything. Well, you might be a dilly dallier if that's the case. If that's you might want to move that water tank. Yeah, <laughs> you might want to dig that up, and good luck right. filling that hole back in. That's an ankle right. breaker there. Um, but water holes, you know, we haven't talked a ton on them um, in the past. Um, but it is something that we're doing more and more of. And I think that, you know, we don't talk a lot on it because a lot of people aren't dealing with this, but, um, we, we're starting to utilize it more and more. And, uh, you know, if it is a lot of times, it seems like guys are putting them in, in the wrong spot most of the time. And, uh, you know, it could be two things. It could be put it in a better spot or figure out how to hunt over it or how to get to it with your access. But it seems like so many times they're just out of range or they're on the wrong end of the food plot. And it's like, God, it's not doing me any good. In fact, it's attracting deer away from the stand. That's terrible. I don't want that. And uh, so placement of water holes is is crucial. Um, And so I'm excited I'm for one. I'm excited to eventually, hopefully, knock on wood, be moving and living on the farm. We're hoping that happens next year, and if that happens, I'm excited to share more content about the layout of the woodlands and and about exactly why we picked this to be in this location and that to be in that location, because there's so much thought process into it that 
I, I think that every time I get up there and I see what we have planned, I'm just like, oh, this is going to be so deadly. I've not seen, frankly, I've not seen a property set up in this fashion. Um, I've seen a few that are close, and ironically, those are the guys that are killing some absolute studs. And so I'm excited to see what happens at the Woodlands. But anything you want to add on water holes, Matt? Location, location, location. Yeah. I mean, location, location, location for a lot of things. It needs to be in the right yeah. location to catch water, collect water, be able to hold water without evaporating because it needs it's to be self-sufficient. Yeah. It needs to be self-sufficient. self-sufficient freestanding form of water that collects, regenerates, does not evaporate off too fast, and it needs to be in a huntable location that deer are already or will naturally be funneling through. And if that happens, then they will be there and they will use it way more than if it's in a location that is more obscure and does not offer those same qualities. Yeah, But when, when it's there... They use the tar out of them. Yeah. There's more bad water holes being put in than there are good ones, in my experience. I'll say that yeah. because it seems like I've seen a lot of them, and I've asked landowners, do you use it? Nah. What? There's, there's yeah. yeah, we just don't. Okay, there's no tracks around it. Well, why not? Well, I, I don't know. I think they're using a water hole over there in the valley. It's like, well, this was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so next one. I'll have to explain this one, but I'm going to call it food plot splits. And by that, I mean one of, just something that's that's deadly is that split in food plots where you plant, let's say, perennial clover here or perennial mix, alfalfa, chicory, clovers here, and you plant annuals there. And you, if, you, if you're around that, or it's corn there, or it's standing soybeans, what you notice is deer like to kind of float that line and go back and forth. And if you put that at the wrong location, let's say 50 yards away, 60 yards away, just because that was easier or whatever, that's a problem. And I think a lot of times we transition food sources and we don't think about where it's at as far as where we've decided to break it up and how crucial that is or how beneficial that could be if it's in bow range. Yeah, I think I have gone K- back Casey Morgan and Greg Glessinger are, are 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 great at this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Splitting fields, standing grain versus greens, and making deer work a pinch. Uh, in between those two, visually, they've got to work that pinch and put a mock scrape. Yeah, that sets up. It's set up is 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 awesome. You can see a lot of that on their their videos and their successful hunts there. Um, and, and then a lot of times too, they throw a daggum decoy in there. It's just unfair. At that point. <laughs> <laughs> or a mock scrape. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I'm, I'm going through that same thought process here. Um, on Elam Ridge, I'm going to have uh, a perennial stand of alfalfa on a portion of the field and then annuals on another. And I'm trying to decide where's that line, where is that line best served? where in relation to where most deer are coming from from the bed when they make that decision can i move that line kind of increase or decrease either side of that um and, and deer are going to be pinched down more like just thinking of how do you split this large four and a half acre field and make it more huntable food plot splits is is pretty key on that yeah absolutely next one being bedding cuts oh my god Goodness, this one drives me 
bonkers. Hey, my name is Willie. I just watched a YouTube video about hinge cuts. Sounds amazing. Roll out to my farm. Implement hinge cuts. Habitat was poor already. So because I did the hinge cuts, deer naturally flocked to it. And now every time I try to access that tree stand, I call the tree or the northwest pinch. I'm blowing deer out of these hinge cuts. How do I fix it? Well, oops, whoopsies. Um, and in so bedding cuts, I mean, when you're cutting trees, understand that this is a a 20, 30, 40, 50 year change. Like this is something that doesn't just snap your fingers and fix. And so yeah. when you're cutting trees, this is one of the most crucial things in having forethought and having the the uh, the strategic planning in place. Because if you do it in the wrong spot, it's going to affect your farm for a, 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 could be a very long time. And so... Ultimately, this is why, I mean, it's it's three on the list, but it should have been one, and we should have covered it twice, and uh, should be on this list twice because it's so crucial. But bedding cuts, and that could be temporary forest openings, micro clear cuts, um, could be all of the things, all the words that ultimately mean a thicket of young forest of, of woody vegetation with brambles and grasses and forbs and just a, 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 a nasty mess, for, for lack of a better term. And if you put them in the right place, and, and this is crucial because 50 yards away, 60 yards away, yeah, it could be fine. It could be great. But it could be extremely great if you put it in the right place. And the right place has a lot of factors coming into it. It could be terrain features. It could be a roadway. It could be an access trail. It could be... The fact that it's got a little ditch running through it, so it's okay, but it's just not quite as completely usable space as we would like. So making sure it's in the right place is key. Making sure it's not too far from the food plot, but also not so close that they hear you getting in the stand, they're already on alert when they stand up. There's so many factors that come into play. Like if you look at a checkerboard and you say, yeah, you know, I could put bedding on each one at wrong. There's like maybe three boxes on a farm that is like, or four or a half a dozen, depending on the size of the farm, that's like, those are the spots. And there's not really more if, ands, or buts about it. Those are the places the bedding cuts need to be. Let's not argue about it. And mm-hmm. and and so bedding cuts, man, it's so crucial to get them in the right spot and to be thinking 220 grit, not 80 grit. Now, 80 grit's okay. But you really kind of have to inter- ingrain some 220 grit in thinking about exactly where those go. All of the rest of your 220 grit management practices that you do are based pretty much in either bedding areas or in or along food plots. Yeah. And, and if you get those two, the foundational pieces, wrong – the rest is going to be um, not nearly as impactful and wasteful time until you get those the fundamental points A and B that deer care about, security cover and food. Until you get those two right, everything else is going to be just I was, null and void or just weak. It's going to be I w- weak. I would almost say that 
if the food plots and bedding cuts are in the wrong place, it's time to sell a farm. That's how big of a struggle it's going to be to fix it. It's going to be, it's going to be painful. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be painful. <laughs> it's almost worth saying, <laughs> let's start over. Uh, let's yeah. just take two. Um, number yeah. number four, fence gaps. Not a lot of time to spend on this one, but ultimately, uh, if you're if you're around cattle farm, um, if you you if you're hunting an old cattle farm and there's barbed wire fence, woven wire fences, even two strand high tinsel, if you have some forethought into fence gaps or places to go ahead, let's say it's an old cattle farm, no longer any cows, you cut those fences in the right place. Wonderful. Uh, if you let them fall down in the wrong place, terrible. And so having yeah. some forethought into where you're going to cut those, how you're going to access to hunt those fence gaps. You know, on the woodlands, one thing that we haven't even talked about yet, but it's a cattle farm part of it. And with those big bottoms, we we spent the extra money to put in fence gaps or gates in certain places that deer naturally already wanted to come out in years past where there was no fences. So we put in gates that ultimately there'll be trails that go through there at some point, logging trails, skitter trails. We'll bush hog it once a year maybe. But ultimately we're going to leave those open 11 months out of the year, minus when the cows are in that place, and we'll we'll throw up the poly the poly wire gate. But then as soon as the cows are out there, we're yanking them down for the very reason we want deer to just naturally use that path of least resistance. So we had so much forethought in that in the planning of the fence uh, of the gates to where there's places where you think, why is there a gate there? It's for the simple fact that we want deer to walk through it and not be jumping 100 yards down. We're going to give them the path of least resistance, and it plays into the cuts we placed on the hillside or in the valley that ultimately are just up in the woods from there. So where deer come in on the downwind side of that bedding cut, they can walk right down the hill 40 yards and walk right through that gate out in the food plot. So it's not even it's not just bedding cuts, but it's also stand location. Absolutely, just it, it, it's it's here's the middle piece, but when the deer gets up from its bed, it's going to walk through this this fence gap. So I'm going to have a camera there. So I'm going to get it there. Then it's going to come into the food plot, hit the mox grade, and that's 15 yards from the tree stand. Like you know, you should know the contact points that you're going to have. Let's say this. I'm going to re restay that. Your forethought should be so good that there's multiple contact points or, or techniques that you did to steer or, or direct the movement into s- certain particular locations. That's right. If it's not that exact, there's more work to do. That's right. Yep. And so um, ultimately you're playing the game of the price is right and you're playing Plinko. And unlike Plinko, where you yeah. just drop the puck and it just goes willy-nilly down through there, you're putting up stoppers or gates and different things. And it could be, oh, a water hole, a food plot split, a bedding cut, fence gaps. And you're like, every time I drop this puck, it goes far right because of everything I put in place. And those pucks far are right deer. Every time. And you're going, I'm going uh, $10,000 or $50,000. I don't even know what the grand prize was on Plinko, but... Ultimately, you're like, I can get it in there every time because I put water holes, food plot splits, bedding cuts, fence gaps, fruit trees, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I jumped ahead. So that's what we're doing here. Number five, fruit and nut trees. So with the planting 
I, Matt, I know uh, how you feel. I know uh, how you feel, and you know how I feel, but I think the mascot of Willy Nilly is a fruit tree. I will 100% agree on that. <laughs> I think I think that it is one of the greatest things that can be done, or, or it's like it's like the most like land steward esque iconic thing, and everyone wants to do it to be like. I'm planting a tree. I'm doing it. I'm planting a tree. And then they go and they plant a daggum orchard and they put it in the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, great, but no. no. You know what cracks me up? And I won't say any names, but it wouldn't be too hard for somebody to probably figure this out. But one thing that drives me crazy is is you get the plant a tree. Like we're gonna we're gonna really get poetic and we're gonna romanticize planting a tree, okay? And then in the next breath, it's not even a native species. Oh, yeah. let's go plant some trees for our grandkids to hunt over. Or let's go talk about this this next generation. And let's sink some sawtooth oaks in the ground. What are we doing? It drives me yeah. bonkers. It's like, I don't even want to be friends with that guy. I don't even want to talk to that guy if that's what he's saying. Because that's just, that's just blasphemy. <laughs> Like, that was, a, like, that was a little aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just like, ah, what are we talking about? Like, oh, man. So just, fruit and nut fruit trees, trees, we see them so yeah. scattered, man. Like, I see trees planted in riparian areas where it's like, that's not even the right species for here. I see them planted under the under drip the- line of a of a bigger tree. And I'm like, that's not going to work. But West-facing, yet- hot, dry slopes. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. name it, all of it. Yeah. And I can remember one, I, I planted some trees for a guy years ago that uh, he wanted the fruit tree right here. And it's like, this is South Slope Sandy, Sandstone. This is not going to work for an apple tree. But we did it. And I'll guarantee, I would be, I mean, I would put a $100 bill on the table and say, if those trees, if there's one tree still alive, that, that money's yours. Because yeah, it, it's just like... Pod- Adam, you might be out of money. You keep talking, throwing money down on bets and everything. <laughs> That's how confident I am in it. And it's just like, you know, fruit and nut trees being one of those, like, if if done correctly and you're playing the long game, knowing that when you put that in the ground, it's going to take a few years to produce. Adam, there is no there is no other game with fruit trees. It is the long game. Yeah. You better be playing that game. Unless you're doing salty toast and it's a little quicker. That's why guys love them. Um, but it still takes several years. Uh, and so, yeah, fruit and nut trees being another 220 grit strategy. I mean, if you have the forethought into it and you're placing them in the right location and it's next to really good access, you have the ability to really steer the deer in closer um, because of the attractiveness of that of that soft or hard mass. So uh, next up, going, I mean, could could be part of the the last one I mentioned, but scrape limbs or mock scrapes. I mean, you very well could plant an oak tree that's going to drop acorns that's also going to double as your scrape tree by the time it's five years old. Like, that's, that's a real possibility. And if you do it in the right location, it's like, oh, my goodness. You are just hitting home runs after home runs with this. But if you do it in the wrong spot... You're not only wasting your time, you're wasting your money, or you're ultimately could be attracting deer to out of range. And that's yep. no good for nobody. That's no fun. Yeah. 
Next up, food plots. Obviously. Obvious. I mean, why, why do I even have to say it? It's a given. But food plots placed in the right place are awesome. But if they're in the wrong spot, they're too big. They're the wrong shape. They adapt a part of the farm that ultimately makes, uh, when they when the deer are standing in that corner, they can see through those thin woods down to your road and look into the yard or whatever of your cabin. That's a problem. Who wants to go out and, let's say it's a cabin without power. Been there, done that. So you have to go outside to take a leak. Well, you don't want to do that at 10.30 at night, right before opening day, and you blow the deer out of the food plot, do you? And that's where food plot placement, especially putting in new food plots, really have to have a deep understanding of long-term benefits and long-term layout. Absolutely. And then, so next one being roads, obviously. Um, Roads are generally put in the wrong spot. But sometimes they're put in the right spot. Um, you know, sometimes they're put where they have to go. And if that's the case, then we have to, everything else kind of gets pushed into a different fashion because the roads have to go where they go. Like, I mean, sometimes it's, you're in timber country and that's just where they have to go. It's flat out the backbone of the property. Yeah. Access sets the tone for your success. Yeah. In my yeah, it's got to be well thought out, well designed, and you, maintained on maintained on top of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you used an analogy before we talked, but ultimately, in my opinion, roadways are the foundation of the home. And yeah. I mean, floor joists and and subflooring is is bedding cuts and and uh, and food plots, and then ultimately picking the fruit tree can be like picking the color of the of the paint um it's not as important but it can be in the you got a bronze knob versus a yeah antique brass yeah and uh so then next up screening with perennials obviously you know we see this a lot in other in parts of the country where it's like oh we're planting with uh, cave and rock switchgrass. Well, if it's in the wrong spot, we can create a damper or create a, a steering block where it's just too thick. Deer aren't going through it. Ultimately, it was just to walk, screen us walking in, but now we've laid it in the wrong place and deer don't really feel comfortable around it because it's really kind of too thick. And uh, so that could be an issue. Um, I'm going to add another one, Matt, to this that didn't even make the list shocker but edge feathering Um, edge feathering is another crucial one that that could be put in the wrong place closed off in the wrong spot done in the wrong place and so um, and then lastly thermal cover pockets typically in the northern climate we're talking about planting evergreens and if they're done in the wrong place a they may die b there's a good chance they die c now that they've grown up we realize they don't really serve the purpose that that we had because they're down in a really really cold spot that, where the sun don't shine. Uh oh, yeah. um, we invested seven years of our life into that and it's not doing what we hoped. Um, and, and 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 it's not going to just never doesn't matter because now they're six foot tall and the benefit of them was two years the really good benefit was two years ago and they weren't using them then so they're sure the heck not going to use them now. And yeah. uh, 
And so that's, yeah, you know, and that's a long play. I mean, some of these are long plays, and if they're done wrong, we ain't getting any younger. I'm not. I don't think, I, I just certainly didn't feel it today on that console. I was like, my knee is killing me. So, Ugh. yeah, um, that's where we're at, man. Willy-nilly land management. I mean, if there is a word to be or, or a term to be used of of things we don't like seeing, it's that <laughs> willy-nilly land management. And uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up and say, don't fall victim to willy-nilly land management. I would rather you spend a free weekend sitting in the cabin, thinking through everything. Than going out and doing haphazard random projects and not actually accomplishing what you're setting out to do. Because then you're just, you're in a perpetual cycle of, it's like breeding disappointment into the farm and, and the, that's not fun and that's not long lasting. And this experience of being a landowner and owning a farm and improving it should be the exact opposite it should be rewarding it should be it should be challenging but it should be yeah. rewarding at the same time and you can't always have the reward at every turn but you can set yourself up far better on the front end by planning yeah and being thoughtful and realizing that this is short-term and long-term plays and how do they work and not how do they work on someone's television screen who's watching an awesome hunt unfold and the guy kills 180. How does it work on this property? That's does right. it work? Is it applicable? Or do I just go on down the road and, and try and manage it in a different way? Yeah. What is going to work on that site and in what order and what layout? That's right. I think of a term I heard a while back. It said a, uh, a, a successful cattle farmer spends more time at home reading about farming and thinking about farming than a guy who spends more time on the farm just trying to farm. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that could be true for a land manager. A successful land manager or a successful hunter spends more time thinking and preparing mentally and making sure he doesn't make those mistakes than just out there making the mistakes and trying to learn from them, just trying to learn as he goes. Mistakes are avoidable. Everyone knows that. Right? Yeah. So that, that means that you have a choice. And, and you know, you can, you can create the situations where you encounter more mistakes or you don't. And so mistakes are avoidable. Yep. And the, the, the road where you miss them, you swerve them, it's a lot smoother than the other way around. No doubt. So, guys, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Um, and hopefully we can help you understand more and more about 220 grit 80 grit and how to set up your property and take it from okay now that you've whipped it into shape from the habitat standpoint now let's work on those features to really make it dialed from the hunting standpoint as well as improving some habitat um, as you go so if you got any questions interested in consulting shoot shoot us an email at info at um, you can check us out on social media as well as youtube with a lot of videos um, dropping uh, this fall so uh, we appreciate you guys listening we'll catch you next week yeah. we'll see you guys